Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Pediatric Chat. My name is Jay Greenspan, Chair of Pediatrics, and hosting this series with my co-host, as always, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hello, Jay. We are recording this session in the Villanova offices of Nemours on a beautiful beginning of fall season. With us for this show, we have our esteemed guests who've been here before, our general pediatric panel of Dr. Bill McNett and Dr. Michelle Carton. Hi, guys. Hello. Nice to be here. And joining us today are three moms that we've had in the past supporting all of us here at Pediatric Chat, so I want them to introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Laura, and I have a two-year-old daughter. Hi, my name is Tiffany, and I have three kids. My oldest is 10, my middle is 8, and my youngest is 5. My name is Rachel. I have a nine-month-old beautiful little girl. Great. And as I mentioned, we are in September, and so school started. We have all the struggles of that. We have flu season coming up we want to talk a little bit about. So I'm sure you guys have lots of questions. Who wants to start? How old should children be before they get the flu vaccine? So we start giving flu vaccine to children once they're six months old. And the first year that children get the flu vaccine, they should get two, and those are spread one month apart. Okay, so my daughter being nine months old, will she get the flu vaccine at her one-year appointment, or how do I work that? It's a great question. The offices now are getting the flu vaccine, and it's a good thing to get it uh, sort of early in the season. We like uh, children to be vaccinated at least two to four weeks before we start to see the flu. So flu tends to circulate usually starting in December or January. So kind of the earlier, the better. Okay, thank you. I think the other thing to remember with an infant is that you also want to get people around her vaccinated. So not just, you know, you and if she has another parent, but also grandparents, babysitters, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between getting the nasal spray vaccine and the shot? Because I've seen people getting the nasal spray. What's the difference? Was one better than the other? I can say that that's actually a very timely question because we aren't using this, the nasal spray, the oh, okay. flu mist this year. Okay. So we only are giving the injection. And I think the reason, and Michelle can help mm-hmm. me with this also, is that it wasn't shown to be as effective as we thought it was. And so we decided that we shouldn't be using it. And when I say we, we're talking about the Center for Disease Control, the American Academy of Pediatrics, mm-hmm. not me and Michelle. <laughs> <We're> just applying. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's, you know, and there's still a lot of pushback about getting the flu vaccine. And I think for legitimate reasons, I mean, when it first started, you know, two decades ago, people would get sick from the vaccine. And so then you have to decide, do I want to go through that little bit of sickness, you know, to ward off the flu? But we're not seeing it nearly as much, but people still think that the flu vaccine will give them the flu that the flu vaccine itself is worse than the flu. Mm-hmm. And I think reality shows us that, I mean, if you've ever had the flu, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty serious. Mm-hmm. So we think right. the vaccine is pretty important. Definitely, mm-hmm. I definitely agree. I actually worked in an emergency room for the first 10 years of my career and saw devastating side effects of yeah. the flu. Uh, so I'm a really big advocate for the flu vaccine. And it's actually a killed vaccine, so you're not getting a live vaccine. Yeah. And, and the difference there is that there's really no problem with actually getting the flu. And I think that's what people think is that they're essentially getting the flu when they get the flu vaccine. People can have a reaction to it, but really what's happening is your immune system is sort of getting invigorated and responding to it. But it's really the only effective treatment we have. So it's a very, very important vaccine to get. Yeah. I'm actually um, scheduled to get my kids flu shots tomorrow, mm-hmm. which would make for a very fun, <laughs> fun Saturday. <laughs> and they're already, you know, annoyed and frustrated, but uh-huh. they don't have an option. Are there ever cases where someone shouldn't get a flu shot? 
Yeah, again, it's a great question. Mm -hmm. Uh, The answer is kind of a no, except, you know, if you've had a reaction, a serious allergic reaction to the flu shot in the past, you probably shouldn't get it. Um, And then we used to talk about egg allergy as well. But now if you can have egg baked into things, then you can definitely get the flu vaccine in your pediatrician's office. Yeah, but there's always that question about egg allergy. So I think it's becoming more clear since we have more experience with the flu vaccine, Mm -hmm. which kids will tolerate it well or in your general pediatrician's office versus which child might need to get it at their allergist office. Exactly. But again, because it's not a live vaccine like MMR and chickenpox, so we don't need to worry about you know, other people who may be immune compromised being around your children after the flu vaccine, children who are immunocompromised themselves. Yes, my oldest actually is. Is able to get, should be able to get the flu vaccine too. Personally, I'm very pro flu shots, Mm -hmm. but I worry about instances where people don't get them. Does that put us even, I mean, I know we've had them, but do you still run the risk if a lot of people don't get them? You know, the interesting thing about the flu vaccine is that it's formulated every year based on what scientists think will be circulating. So there are definitely some years where it's been more effective than others. But that being said, the research is really strong in showing that it decreases risk of of infections like pneumonia and complications from the flu. So the data, again, is really strong for the benefits of getting flu vaccine. Yes. You know, I know in many instances, the CDC has children getting multiple vaccines at the same time. Is the flu vaccine, is it one that you should just do almost insularly, like you just go for the flu vaccine and not, you know, pile it on with the others? No. It's actually, you can get it any time okay. with any other combination of vaccines. And there actually is evidence, and this is, you know, for my parents who are concerned about their children getting too many vaccines at the same time, there's some evidence that it's actually more effective the more vaccines that you give because the immune system is so ramped up that studies have shown that it is more helpful. It does seem torturous. And so we're respectful of families who decide that they don't want to do too many at once, but scientifically it's safe and it may give an added benefit. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Kind of tagging on that, sometimes I get the question about whether or not parents should pre-treat with Tylenol. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's actually been shown to have a negative consequence on actually making an immune response to vaccines. So we no mm-hmm. longer recommend pre-treating with Tylenol. If your child does have a fever or has, you know, is fussy or in pain, then it's definitely a good thing to use, but it's definitely good not to use it before you come into the office. But Tiffany, you were mentioning others not getting vaccines. That's true with other vaccines, for sure. It and worries me, I have to be honest. It's been a hot topic mm-hmm. in pediatrics yeah. for, for a couple of weeks now. Do you guys have any comments on other vaccine issues in general? Tiffany, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I just registered my youngest for kindergarten, and I filled out my forms. And because my daughter actually happens to fall into a summer birthday, at the time when I was registering her, she wasn't up to date with her shots because she wasn't five yet. Mm-hmm. And they were very on top of me of, why isn't this done? And are you going to get it done? And I said, absolutely. I will make sure my child is vaccinated. And I actually had it in school prior to school starting. But my concern always is, especially because I have a child, my oldest is mm-hmm. autoimmune compromised. Mm-hmm. What happens and how much more at risk are my children? I'm putting them through that and I believe in putting them through that for Mm -hmm. their health and the health of others. What do you do when others don't necessarily follow through with the same beliefs that you do? Mm -hmm. How at risk are we? Uh. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 that, I know that's no, a very hot And the topic. reason we're kind of looking at it is right. because there is controversy. And I think both sides, there's some validity to both sides of, you know, pediatricians refusing to take care of families who aren't getting their children vaccinated. 
and the other side of the coin of families that either don't want to vaccinate their children or may want to use an alternative routine for their vaccinations or our schedule for their vaccinations. And I think we're going to be talking about this. This is going to be one of these topics that we're going to be talking about for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, there's just so much gray that I think each practice, each pediatrician, and also the families need to make the right decision for themselves. The other thing, too, is as there are larger pockets of people who are not immunizing, that's really when the risk also increases. So, for example, in California, a few years ago when they had the measles outbreak, that basically became a problem because in that area in particular, there were high non-vaccination rates. Yeah. So as that becomes... We have pretty high vaccination rates right. in Pennsylvania and in the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really don't have that much risk. So the risk of you bringing a child, your child into an office where there may be some unvaccinated children, um, the risk of catching something is real low. And so we use that as a reason to continue to take care of children who are unvaccinated with some caveats that we try to keep those kids kind of away from the general population if they're coming in because they have symptoms which are consistent with, you know, measles or with chicken pox. You know, they call and they say, my kid has a fever and a runny nose. Instead of treating that as a cold, we will treat that as we're going to see you in the beginning of the day or at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. One of my friends goes out to the parking lot and make sure <laughs> wow. that, they're, wow. that they're not bringing something into the into the office, which I think is also remarkable. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, perfect. It is. Right, right. And, and so we're all aware. We have this heightened awareness. So if you have an office that is able to identify those kids who are unvaccinated uh, so we can provide that kind of service and do what we can do to protect. And we do just the opposite. Our kids who we know are also immunocompromised are uh, either that they have that diagnosis or even... You know, I take care of a lot of babies who are born very premature, that they are at higher risk of these kinds of infections, that it's never just a cold. This is just a cold may put them into the intensive care unit. And so even those kids that we don't let them stay in our waiting room for very long, we, as soon as they come in, we try to bring them back to the exam room so they're not in the general population for the opposite reason. And I think we have to remind people that, you know, children who aren't vaccinated, sometimes it's not because the parents are withholding vaccinations. Sometimes they may have a disease process that we just aren't able to vaccinate them. And so I think, you know, we have to be careful with kind of how we identify and, you know, you, well, you don't know me, but I don't like to be mean. <laughs> to people. So I can actually speak to that. I have Crohn's disease. And as I said, I had a two-year-old daughter. So there's a lot of autoimmune in my family. Mine's presents as Crohn's. So during my pregnancy, I really struggled with, my husband is an engineer, so he's very science-based. And so um, Dr. Carton gets a kick out of when we both come in. So my daughter is vaccinated, but I chose to really, you know, do it two at a time. She comes in more often. So she comes in once a month to get vaccines at two at a time. So while some parents do it, you know, maybe come once every three months, we're here more often. It takes vigilance. We have it on our phones. I have it on the refrigerator when she's due. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. And I've had no problems with that. I've had people say, oh, you're anti-vaccine. No, I'm pro-vaccine, but for our family. So I do wonder if at the schools, my daughter just started preschool. I struggled with it, too, and I spoke to the head of school. I said, here's where we're at. You know, here's where her vaccines are. She's had some that perhaps your children haven't had because based on our schedule. So she's had some that maybe are recommended for a three-year-old, but she had it at one. And Dr. Carton was, you know, wrote a letter saying, you know, we are on top of the vaccine. So I wonder... Some people that are anti-vaccine, and maybe it's my own ignorance, if people are just anti-vaccine or more, you know, like myself. But it takes work to be sure. um, the, the, mm-hmm. to the alternative vaccine schedule. 
I find it interesting when people are flipping about it, oh, and they just cherry pick instead of sitting mm-hmm. down with their pediatrician and say, which two do you recommend we get next month? And being more proactive mm-hmm. and conscious about it. Do you find that Definitely. more common? I mean, the, the true people who don't want to vaccinate at all are a very small yeah. minority yeah. in this area. Very yeah. small, which is wonderful. And I do find that the people who are a little bit more concerned or have issues or are concerned about giving too many vaccines at the same time, you know, I think both Bill and I try to have very open dialogues and realize, I think the tough thing about being a parent now is you have media from every direction and it's hard to try to suss out what's true and what isn't. My job as a pediatrician is to have those very open dialogues with families and to try to figure out where the concerns might be how we can provide information that will help parents make those decisions. And then we really try to work together. So most of the families I have that are not on the typical vaccine schedule, we still are actively vaccinating, but we craft a vaccine schedule that's comfortable both for the parents and for you know, for us as a pediatric. And Laura, I have to agree with you. I think it does take vigilance to stay yeah. on top of that. Mm-hmm. And one of my concerns is that there clearly is the, I don't want my child vaccinated for any reason at any time versus most of our families like yours who are doing it for many different reasons, but I consider them all valid because I still consider them the fact that they're getting their kids vaccinated is what our ultimate goal is. We'll get there. And when you look at the rest of the world, how we vaccinate our children here is different than other countries do. And so, you know, one of the things in medicine, what I've realized years ago, is that there are many ways to get to the same place. And as long as you're aware of that and open to it, there should be no conflict. And I have that. to say, too, is having a pediatrician, and I have to say, you know, for Dr. Carton, is that there was one vaccine in particular that I was extremely nervous about because of my autoimmune disease and if it, what the results would be for my daughter, you know, if she indeed has it. And I was a nervous wreck. So I had my husband came for it and <laughs> Dr. Carton, I can get teary-eyed, but Dr. Carton called me a week later asking how I was, <laughs> you know, not necessarily how my daughter was. So that means a lot that there was no judgment because yeah. there can be judgment and people that will say things, you know, oh, what, you know, why are you doing that? And, you know, it's defending, but it's nice to have a pediatrician that is supportive and loving and cares about the well-being. My child's completely fine. I was the lunatic, but, you know, but it was because of that and and trusting your pediatrician and finding one, you know, every vaccine Mm -hmm. that we give, even a simple polio, you know, Dr. Carton will sit and say, this is why we're doing it. This is the history behind it. And that I think is empowering as parents. And I think it's a shame that more people who are anti-vaccine, you know, perhaps need a pediatrician that is able to sit down and be, you know, almost, you know, candid with them and saying, this mm-hmm. is the reason and mm-hmm. this is why. And yeah. these are the statistics. And I, yeah. And I think yeah. that actually informs a lot of our approaches. We would much rather have, this is my personal opinion, and I don't think it's shared by many. I would much rather have a family be upfront about why they're not getting their vaccines and have opportunities to talk to them continually about why it is important. And let's look at the science and let's address your fears. And the fears are valid, but is this something that we can overcome? You know, and I have, I have to tell you, in my experience, and I'm, for those of you who can't see me, I'm really old. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm not, not nearly as old as our chairman. <laughs> <laughs> but I've had a lot of experience. And in, and in my career, I think I really have had two, maybe three families that absolute refused. Two of them I still see. And I hope, you know, and they know every time they come in that we are going to talk about it. Sometimes mm-hmm. we joke about it. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're very serious about it. But we're still going to talk about it because this is a part of good medicine. 
So I definitely agree. Yeah, but I still love seeing them. They're great kids, great families. You know, right, there's right. no there's no judgment. There's no need for that. Is there anything mm-hmm. we can do as parents? So you know that we are pro vaccine, whether however we do it, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that we can encourage other people like those families that, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps people are leery about, oh, well, doctors and big pharma, you know, that you hear that. Is there anything yeah. that we can do as parents? I, you know, I think by having that. those conversations with people and having yeah. hard conversations and sharing that information is really powerful because that's the one thing I think that I worry about is that it seems that the anti-vaccine movement has gained so much press. Yeah. And it's been really hard to get the press out that vaccines are actually really healthy. Yeah. So I think when you have that experience, it's And I great. remind people this this is not a belief system. This mm-hmm. is not a religion. This is your child's health. This is medicine, you know, at its best, I think, you know, because that we have vaccines. And, you know, there's some old timers like me, and I don't, I'm going to start considering myself an old timer soon, mm-hmm. um, who have seen the diseases that we're vaccinating against. You know, some of the diseases I haven't seen, but a lot of them I have. And I can still remember, you know, doing lumbar punctures almost every night I was on call as a young intern and seeing pus come out of some baby's spinal cord that, or spinal column, uh, sp- <laughs> spinal fluid mm-hmm. that, you know, you knew that this kid now is going to be at risk of death, is going to be at risk of being hearing impaired, is going to be at risk for having developmental delays. And general society, they don't see this now. They may have parents or they may have relatives who are deaf because they had meningitis, but they don't have any friends who have kids who had meningitis. It's so unusual for a child now to have bacterial meningitis. But we lived that. And so when I talk about that from a very personal spot, parents are more willing to listen. You know, when I can tell them these stories that are true. And the other technique that I do, and I think you probably do this too, Michelle, knowing you, is I like this idea of putting them all out on the table. Mm-hmm. These are the vaccines. Let's look at the ones that we have to get. Let's look at the ones that we're not really that at risk for right now. So these are the must-haves. These are the we would love to. And these are the like, well, if you're going to miss some, this is the one to miss. Right, 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 right. So, And again, what it does, Laura, it gives you, not you, but it gives parents yeah. control. And I think when it comes to the healthier child, I think that is so important for the parents to feel empowered and to that they are the ones making the decisions. We are helping you raise your kids in that way. We are helping you making those decisions. That's our job, is to give you those options. Well, thanks so much for joining us on Pediatric Chat. We've learned a lot and had a great time. Yeah, yeah. thanks guys for coming. To our listeners, if you have a question about this topic, or if there's another topic you'd like us to explore in a future Pediatric Chat, you can send it to us by using the question portal on our webpage. And be sure to view our library for more pediatric chat programs. I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan, and thanks for listening.